wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six form parlor. I wish I was like six foot nine so I could get with Leoshi because she don't know me, but yo, she's really fine. You know, I- hey, everybody. Welcome to Genie Babies. <laughs> It's a podcast brought to you by the folks at Overdue. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And when it's time to put away our childish things yeah. and wrap up Genie Babies. And I am sort of glad that that voice is going to get put away <laughs> in the toy box and sold by Andy's mom at a yard sale or whatever. <laughs> I'm kind of glad to see that one go. Well, yeah. And, you know, well, but if you can hear the voice and that means you're a toy, too. You're a genie mm. baby too. Interesting. No, the toys can talk to people. Is that like true? They, yeah, they torment Sid. Remember? Oh crap! Yeah, right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. true. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're totally right. There's um, a snake in my but boot. Yeah, you just you do this like Jack Nicholson thing. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how I can't actually do a baby voice. I can only do a old do, actor like, voice, <laughs> wise guy baby voice. <laughs> this is our Arabian Nights one thousand and one night's podcast we are wrapping up our mini series here on the uh Musin Mahdi Hussein Hadwi translation and edition of these collected folk tales uh last time on this program we talked about the story of the hunchback uh part two, and that we hunchback. heard oh, he man. got up all kinds of stuff and then we met that kooky barber and all of his brothers all of his unfortunate brothers <laughs> his misfortunate brothers perhaps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this is going to be our wrap-up episode we are going to uh, talk about some stories that were not in our collection as well as some of the stories that we did not read for this uh, like purposefully shorter long reads project so what do you want to tease at top Andrew and then I'll go into what I've got prepared so I like when we started when we'd picked the 1001 nights, we were like, oh, dang, Aladdin and like lamps and stuff. Yeah. And that's not in here. We got we got like a jar with a genie in it. Yeah. Like we did get some genies, but no, there's no Aladdin. No. He just, he, no, Aladdin doesn't live here because that story is considered to be an orphan story because there is no original, that and Alibaba, I think there is no original Arabic text for them that exist. Uh, they appeared i'm not sure for the first time but they appear for one of the first times in um in uh is it antoine Antoine galan's 18th century french edition which then made it into the richard burton translation which is one of the early english translations yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and it had and and those those early european translators of this work did not did not translate it with an eye toward like accuracy or cultural mm-hmm. sensitivity or even like education. They were like, Oh, these are like the outlines of some fun stories. What if I Europe these up a little bit <laughs> while I translate them? Sure. So there were a lot of editions and one, one of the editions and I, we don't know where I think where Galand got it in the first place, but the Aladdin story exists sort of outside of the 1001 nights. And there are, there are actually some structural things about it that are really different and weird in the context of the rest of the nights. But 
yeah, we wanted, we wanted to just do that one. This is a story a lot of people are familiar with, and I was curious to read the source text for it because one of the last times I did that, when I read Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> I got a big surprise because that book was, that was bonkers. That was different. <laughs> like than the, adapt- the movie. The stuff that was adapted to the Disney version was like in there and recognizable, but then there was like a whole other half of the book after <laughs> that. <laughs> so that's that's not exactly what's going on here. Like, but but we we can talk about the elements people are familiar with and how different they are. And then just recap the story. Cause it's like madcap and weird in a way that I found appealing. Okay, cool. Um, and I, for that, I read, um, the penguin edition, which is split up into three books. This is from volume three. And, uh, the main text was translated by Malcolm Lyons, uh, Ursula Lyons translated the Aladdin and Alibaba sections and they're adapted from, um, Mostly, except for the ones that are t- taken from Galand, like the the Arabic text is the Calcutta two version oh. of it, the one that Burton originally translated in the late eighteen hundreds. Okay, okay. Um, they a great achievement in its time. Burton's translation nonetheless contained many errors. Great, and even in the eighteen eighties, his English read strangely. <laughs> Just Perfect. a gentle body check for. <laughs> Richard Burton in the editorial note read strangely sure (laughs) um so yeah I wanted to make sure before we get to Aladdin I kind of wanted to make sure that we rounded out what was in this book that we have that we each decided to embark upon um and so there are four stories that we did not cover that I've found and kind of built some synopses of before Andrew tells me about Aladdin uh, the first is the story of the three apples, Andrew, which is considered by some to be a work of crime fiction. <laughs> uh, some who <laughs> scholars, I don't know, it's scholars. Me okay. now that I've read that interpretation, um, it picks up with the caliph from that story with the ladies and the who were dogs and they were crying and the dervishes yeah, right. with yeah. the cake cake neck cake neck yes. Um, and the caliph and his buddy Jafar, the vizier who pops up in a number of stories, um, they like are like parting with a fisherman. The fish, he's like, "Find me a cool fish," and he's like, "Oops, I found a chest with a woman cut up inside." And he's like, "Oh no, uh, we have to solve the mystery of who murdered this woman." And it turns out that uh, a guy bought his wife some apples, and then uh, Jafar, one of Jafar's people that he owns. Um, took one of the apples from the woman's son, but that's not what her husband thought. She thought that he she was sleeping around on him, so she, he cut her into pieces and then put her in a chest and then threw mm-hmm. her in the water. Mm-hmm. And Jafar was like, well, that stinks that my slave's involved, but I'm going to tell my boss a cool story so he doesn't kill my person. That's classic, classic, classic Arabian Nights. Classic Arabian Nights. Story, um, no, story for my life. And then, and then that story is about two brothers who are gonna who make a plan that they're gonna marry two sisters. They're they're gonna get married on the same day. They're gonna bone their wives on the same day. And one of them is gonna have a boy, and one of them is gonna have a girl, and they're gonna marry each other. Sick plan. This is strange it is strange this is a weird one gang but they get in a fight over the dowry and which one's kid will be prettier i guess Mm -hmm. and so they go their separate ways they do end up having their kids the one prince falls on hard times he meets some demons 
Um, there are some bedroom shenanigans with a hunchback Ooh. and a lot of suffering. Another hunchback. Uh, and he has to like end up proving who that he is, who he says he is. He does end up marrying his cousin just as he's supposed to. Nice. Nice. Awesome. And the Caliph is like, hey, Jafar, that was a great story. Um, yeah, your guy can go free, even though... Definitely, like, the cousin marrying, that's really good. Love that story. Um, you're going to be my best pal forever. Here's a concubine. And it totally doesn't matter that we found a woman, like, the beginning of a Law & Order episode. Like, it's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> what, if, what, was that, what if that was how a typical Law & Order episode was structured? Was the first half hour is the investigative section. And then the second half hour, instead of being in the courtroom is the person who did the murder telling a really good story to, um, what's his name? Lenny Briscoe. Oh, I was going to say maybe an iced tea, but yeah, it's probably to Lenny Briscoe. Yeah. Whatever and then, his character's Len, name is. Then Lenny Briscoe being like, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> law and, law and story is too easy. Law and, I'll think about it. Okay, come back to me on it, it if you got it. Um, and something. There's two different stories of guys who marry concubines. Um, one is like a forbidden love where she belongs to this dude's caliph and they shouldn't be together and they they basically just die because of how broke heartbroken they are. Like the whole story is about trying to keep their relationship a secret. Uh, they can't be together. And then they both literally die after hearing a song about being in love because they can't be with the person that they love. Just sensitive voice. These. Yeah. The, the one guy, it says, the translation says that his soul leaves his body and it meant it literally. It, did not, it was not an expression. It's not like he was, he was mortified because no. he like told the teacher that he loved her or something. Oh, no. he actually died and then she died. Um, and then there's another one. Where there's a good visure and a bad visure, and there's a beautiful new woman that the good visure literally purchased, but his son falls in love with her, and he lets them get married, and the good visure dies, and the son and the woman run away together, uh, but the bad visure chases them down and tries to like control them. And then, oh, look, Jafar and the Caliph get involved and ultimately punish the bad visure who was after them. Great. Wonderful. Um I there's like the recurring theme and I don't know I will be interested to hear about whether or not this crops up in Aladdin but as we've seen in a lot of these stories like people in power the people to whom Shahar the the analog for the person to whom Shahrazad is telling her stories mm-hmm. a lot of times they end up being the good guy like they mm-hmm. end up solving the problem by like pardoning people or freeing people or appropriately punishing people it is rarely about checking authority. Um, and then the last one has a lot of supernatural stuff in it. And honestly, like, if I knew that this book, that this story was in here, I might have made us read it. Uh, <laughs> a king purchases a girl who turns out to be like a sea genie. Um, she finally speaks after they have sex and she's like, cool, I'm pregnant. Just wanted to let you know. And he's like, that's great. And she's like, pregnancy heavy scat of stories yes um and she's like hey can my sea family come ashore because like i'm gonna have i'm gonna give birth to like a boy from the sea like they need to be here to help me out and he's like that's fine um 
and his the son is cool, but he falls in love with a woman whose father will accept no husband, so they end up running away together. But they have to do it because his uncle killed her dad's people as like punishment for not accepting the marriage. So she transforms him into a bird, and then uh, he gets stranded on another island after people cure him of being a bird. Do you remember that other story where someone was like, that's not an animal, that's a man? Yeah. The gorilla one, I think. Mm-hmm. People in people in these stories, like, there's just an uncanny ability to just spot, look at an animal and go, that's not an animal. That's not an animal. That's a that's prince a I know. That's a guy. <laughs> they cure him of being a bird. He does, like, an Odysseus, like, I get home thing. And he does shipwreck on an island where a lady turns all of her suitors into horses and mules and stuff. That's and also very Odyssean. Yes. And when she tries to do it to him, he tricks her. And turns her into a donkey and then tries to sell her to a woman who turns out to be her mom. And they trick him again and turn him into an ugly bird this time. Uh, and then he gets sent back to his homeland as an ugly bird. But they they do solve the bird mystery. They torch the city of magicians who tricked him a number of times. And he does, in fact, get with the princess who originally turned him into a bird. Quote, he took her virginity and when he found out that she had been a virgin, he rejoiced and they... Loved one another exceedingly. So they had a great time. Okay. Um, Sounds fun. That one sounded fun because there was a lot more fantastical, like transformation, double crossy stuff, which I think we've enjoyed in the past. And it was always, it always stood out to me when stories did not have those supernatural elements in them. Sure. I think, do we think most of the stories that we've read for these do end happily for? at least like the majority of the people in them. I'm trying to think what the breakdown is between yes, you successfully storied your way out of getting killed or. Oh, no, that's a good you, point. You died. Yeah. Most people endure a lot of suffering and then get to a point where someone empowers like you're good now. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like your people- suffering enabled you to tell me a good story. Yes. Which, yes. Yeah. Um, and all and great art requires suffering. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and in our edition, there is a translator's postscript on the last page, uh, which just says, Tradition has it that in the course of time, Scheherazade bore Shariar three children, and that having learned to trust and love her, he spared her life and kept her as his queen. So his days of... Marrying and killing people are over, I guess. That's some editorializing on his part, though. I, I, That's some fanfic that he squ- I, he squeezed I, in there at the end. I, I, it is my understanding that multiple editions deal with the the end, quote unquote, of these stories similarly with her having like succeeded, but which is in tension with the the scholarship and provenance of these tales that really just seem to have been jammed together by a bunch of European dudes who liked these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I have on the stories that we didn't read. They do all seem to have a lot of the same elements, lots of telling stories to spare lives, lots of mistaken identity stuff, um, the occasional appearance of a supernatural creature, but not really relying on it. And mostly people in power, like, coming in and saving the day. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and so there are some elements of the rest of the Knights stories that we've read in the Aladdin story. But it is clearly, like, tonally and stylistically a pretty big departure. Sure. Um, 
there is a genie involved. Um, the book does play kind of fast and loose with what it must be like to be in China because the whole thing does oh, really? take place in China, but it really doesn't seem to like be much different. different okay. Than, yeah. <laughs> but again, <laughs> like I wonder they still if have like... sultans and they like all the same stuff and it's all. Yeah. I wonder how the text got that way. Like, I wonder how much of that is just because these stories were from all over in that general region of the Arabic world. And then various translators like punched it up, you know, I don't Yeah. I don't know how much of the, of the China stuff was inserted by translators because it does appear in the, the text that we read, which yeah, is that's a true. translation that's of true. an Arabic edition, like that's a good point. purposely like cuts out all the, the European guys who, yeah, yeah. Got their fingerprints all over this thing at various points. <laughs> I, I mean, if I had to guess based on nothing in particular, except sure. like the translator's note and, and all the other stories we've read, I think it's just that like nobody's going to fact check this. Nobody yeah. who's going to read this knows what China is like. It's like reading Shakespeare and it's like you just picked a Italian town that sounded far away. Yeah. It just like, looks this like just, This is just meant to lend an air of like exoticness yeah. to this yeah. story yeah. just to say that it ha- is and everything happened in china the end <laughs> this was all in china like you can't tell me it didn't happen yeah <laughs> it literally begins with uh in the capital city of a rich and vast kingdom in china whose name i cannot at the moment recall <laughs> what a good trick so let's talk about Aladdin, please. And I don't, I don't want to just continually jump back and forth between the movie and this. So, do you need me to t- tell you anything about the movie? I did make some notes. No, I think I, I think I'll, I'll leave that to you to to jump in when you think it's appropriate to get into the movie. Except right here at the beginning, I will say. So in the movie, Aladdin is a street rat. He is forced to a life of crime by poverty. Yeah. Correct. But he is fundamentally well-meaning. He has a funny talking monkey. Even though he is hungry, he gives food to kids who are hungrier than him. Like he is shown to be a stand-up sort of altruistic guy. And when he gets the genie and then gets the girl, we are meant to believe that that is a good thing because he's a good guy. Yeah. There's Despite a, some lapses in judgment. There's a little bit of a right reasons thing as he starts to get richer through the genie's wishes. Like, is he going to continue to be the good guy that he is as he becomes this, you know, Ali of Babwa, etc. But uh-huh. that's like, the that's his arc in the movie. Sure. He's mm-hmm. a good guy. Yeah. This book Aladdin sucks. <laughs> At least at the beginning. Okay. In the capital city of a rich and vast kingdom in China, whose name I cannot at the moment recall, there lived a tailor called Mustafa, whose only distinguishing feature was his profession. This Mustafa was very poor, his work hardly producing enough to live on for him, his wife, and a son whom God had given him. The son, who was called Aladdin, had received a very neglected upbringing which had led him to acquire many depraved tendencies. He was wicked, stubborn, and disobedient toward his father and mother, who once he became a little older could no longer keep him in the house. So not only not an orphan, but also kind of a jerk. And his dad, Mustafa, tries to teach him the family trade, and he's not having it. And Mustafa 
Uh, quote, his grief at not being able to make his son mend his ways resulted in a persistent illness of which a few months later he died. Oh, no. So Aladdin sucked so bad that he killed his dad. Oh, no. <laughs> Aladdin and, and so, OK, Aladdin uh, says no longer restrained by the fear of a father. Paid oh, so little attention to his mother that he had the effrontery to threaten her when she so much as remonstr- remonstr- remonstrated, remonstrated. I've never said that word out loud in that conjugation. Yeah, me neither. And now abandoned himself completely to his dissolute ways. So Aladdin is running around in the street. He's playing with kids, even though he's supposed to be a man. (laughs) He's and he shows no interest in growing up or or doing manly things. Hmm. So one day he's playing in the street and this magician comes up upon him and looks at him as like, hey, you look like my brother Mustafa. I'm your uncle. Let's here's some money. Like, go get dinner, and me and you and your mom are gonna hang out and visit and talk about my brother and have a great time. This seems like you would need to use the special like family safe word for that interaction. Yeah, <laughs> right. You would definitely need a password for this, but no. <laughs> like, and Aladdin goes home. And he's like, Mom, do I have an uncle? And she's like, No, not really. He died a long time ago. And Aladdin's like, Well, there's a guy who says he's my uncle. And he talked about how I look like my dad and he seems legit. And his mom's just like, okay. (laughs) And so they have the magician over and the magician starts to try and uh, introduce Aladdin into polite society, like ostensibly serving as a father figure for him and helping to lift he and his mother up out of poverty. Huh? But that doesn't last for very long. And something we get in this story that we don't, really get in the night stories that we read is like characters have some interiority like all the while so he and aladdin are going to go out they're going to walk through these gardens and they're going to go to the mountains and and they're going to stumble upon what amounts to the cave of wonders it's just a hole in the ground it's not a big talking lion head yeah yeah um uh, but as they are going all the while, they were advancing even deeper into the countryside and the wily magician who wanted to go further still in order to carry out the plan he had in mind, took the opportunity of entering one of these gardens. And so this whole time, like this magician is doing stuff. The book is like, this guy is not on the level, even though Aladdin mm. doesn't know that it's it's like foreshadowing by telling us bluntly this guy is bad and he's got ulterior motives. Yeah, the closest that I've encountered in this edition to that is, it's fresh in my mind because I just read it, in that story where the guy gets turned into a bird 14 times, um, the woman he's on the island with is like, oh, I'll pretend to love him for a little bit, but I'm so mad at what his family did to my dad, I'm going to turn him into a bird later. Like She does have like like a brief interior monologue, but that is not the overall storytelling style of these stories well, and it's, at all. It's, and even that is usually presented as a character like thinking to themselves or like yeah like a thought talking bubble. to yep, themselves yep. like it's it's not the the narrator like wink wink nudge nudge yeah right yeah yeah so uh the magician and aladdin they open up this cave and the magician is like hey go in there and do all this very specific stuff uh, don't touch anything except for these like fruits that look like jewels. You can grab as many of them as you want, but go do all this very specific stuff. Grab this lamp, come back. Here's a ring 
that will protect you from stuff that's in this cave. Okay. And so Aladdin, Aladdin go, does everything that he says. He get he goes and he gets the lamp. He grabs the fruits. Um, he follows directions. He makes it back to the mouth of the cave. The magician is like, "Hey, hand me up the lamp, and then I will pull you up." And Aladdin's like, "Uh, why don't you just pull me? I'll hold the lamp, and you pull me up." And they fight about this, and the magician. <laughs> Has very little patience for something that he came all the way to China from Africa for. Oh, wow. It's like a big this, plot that he is seemingly going to throw away instantly. Yeah. So he decides to just like seal Al up in the cave hmm. and leave. Like this, uh, this street rat's a jerk. Bye. But magicians are so used to disasters and to events turning out contrary to their desires that all their lives they forever feed their minds on smoke fancies and phantoms. That's why it's that's why he just kind of up and leaves is that stuff goes wrong for magicians a lot of the time, says the book. Huh. So Aladdin's trapped in this cave and he manages to rub the the magic ring that he has on and a genie comes out of it and is like, hey, what do you want? Out of the ring? Yeah. Whoa. And then this will this will come back later, much, much, much later. This is the like Chekhov's genie ring <laughs> that comes back in later. So genie in the ring gets him out of the cave. He's like, man, that was weird. All right, time to go home and tell my mom everything that happened because I've been trapped in this cave for three days. And he goes back with the lamp to his house. He tells his mom everything. He's going to clean the lamp to sell it, I think, because they are so poor. They don't have a lot of money. Yeah. And so as he rubs the lamp, another genie comes out of that. And he's like, hey, I'm the lamp genie. What do you what do you want? Tell me what you want. And Aladdin is, is very modest in his in his wishes at first. Like at first he just wishes. I wish I had. a. am really hungry. I wish I had a lot to eat. And the genie is like, cool. Got it. You got it, dude. And brings him a bunch of food on fancy, nice dishes. The dishes don't disappear after that, and they're really nice silver. So Aladdin just goes out to like sell them. To, hey, here's here's something fun. Sells them to an unscrupulous Jew. Oh, who great. pays him like one seventieth of what they're worth. Cool. And then later, another goldsmith get. To, gathers him and is like hey that guy is not paying you enough even for a jew he's really oh great he's really he's really bad yeah so a lot of cool anti-semitism neat in in here for no reason because you could have just cut right to the the first goldsmith guy yes (sighs) so aladdin Starts getting this. They they have enough money to live on, and they're not like living beyond their means. There and Aladdin is still being very uh, sparing with his wishes of of the genie. Is there any and sort of like limit on his wishes? No, no limit. Okay. Genie doesn't really seem to want free. Genie doesn't really get mad about much of anything. <laughs> he doesn't genie do any just, cool voices or anything. No, genie just just uh, gets his orders and he does them, and then he goes. Genie's fine. Okay, cool. So one day. The Sultan's daughter is going to go take a bath at a public bath. And so all the shops and stuff have to close because nobody can see her. But Al is like, what if I saw her? Whoa. And and so this is the first time the book says that Aladdin sees a woman without her veil on that is not his mother. Uh Uh-huh. And he is like, wow, I didn't know women could be hot. 
I want to marry this woman now because she's because she's very attractive. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think, but I think maybe that probably I don't know that there's any specific reference to that, but that type of seeing a woman at all for the first time for real certainly matches how a lot of the dudes in the stories we read respond to like hearing a woman's name or just hearing about a woman. Yeah, there is a lot of like like standing outside people's doors with boom boxes because you heard they were pretty somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there and there's a lot of cultural tradition of of separating the sexes that way. So I I okay. All right, fair enough. Okay. So he's what so how Len does he is like, go to see her though? I need I need to marry this lady. And he goes back to home to his mom and he's so distracted and he's so he's acting like he's sick because his his heart is so sick with love for (laughs) the princess. Uh And he is like, hey, mom, why don't you go to the sultan and ask if I can marry his daughter? Hey, mom, why don't you do this? Hey, mom, I want a pizza and a sultan's daughter, mom. Mm -hmm. And so he bugs. He badgers his mom. And at this point, like the book has gone out of its way to say Aladdin and his family are so poor, they don't even know what like precious gems are. So Aladdin brings back these pockets and pockets full of precious gems, like huge fruit sized precious gems from this cave and stuffs them in the couch cushions because he just thinks they look pretty and they aren't worth anything. But as he gets some money and, and starts to move in like merchant circles, he does recognize, oh, hey, these pretty rocks have some value. And so he says to his mom that, you know, remember those pretty rocks? Those are worth quite a bit of of coin. Why don't you put them in a really nice bowl and go see the Sultan while he's holding his, you know, an audience with his with his subjects and then ask him if I can marry his daughter, please. Please go do this for me. And so his mom goes. I didn't expect like this every... to be the story of Aladdin bossing his mom around. Yeah, Aladdin and his mom have. A real like Buster Bluth and Lucille <laughs> Bluth thing going on sometimes. I don't know. He needs a lot. Okay. So he's so his mom goes like every other every day for a week and trying to like standing in front and just like looking at the Sultan. She doesn't have an appointment. Like she doesn't she doesn't know how to bowl do full this. of She's jewels. Not doing it right. Yeah, just bowl full of covered bowl full of jewels. And Sultan says to his vizier, Hey, this lady has come here for like my last four audiences and just stands there in front of everybody. It just stares at me. Why don't we ask her what she wants? <laughs> and so they do that. And so she presents the bowl with the pretty rocks and says, Hey, you will, can the princess marry my son Aladdin? And the Sultan's like, dang, these are pretty rocks. Sure. But like, give me, give me three months. And then at the end of three months, we can definitely do this because his vizier is like whispering in his ear, hey, like, don't don't get blinded by these jewels. Also, incidentally, like, weren't wasn't my son going to marry your daughter? Like, didn't mm. we talk about this? Um, <laughs> and uh, there's this whole like side plot where the princess and the vizier's son do get married. But Aladdin goes to the genie and is like, when they get into their marital bed, instead of letting them consummate the marriage, bring the bed here to my house. And then 
put the put the vizier's son in the bat in like a bathroom stall and make him like stand in there all night. And so he does that twice. And the vizier's son hates this so much that he's like, man, I love this princess and all like this seems cool, but I would rather I would rather not be married to her than have to stand in the bathroom, <laughs> stand in the privy all night again. Like this sucks. Okay. So they they break off their marriage. And then when three months pass, Aladdin's mom goes back and is like, hey, remember what you said? And the Sultan is like, man, I really don't want my daughter, my my princess daughter to marry some scrub nobody. And the vizier is like, well, what if you and I think we in in the United States of America have learned that sometimes when you set a goal that's impossibly high because you don't want to say no to somebody mm. people will just blow through your or blow through your expectations or like like burrow through them depending on the direction <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> and they will just do and they'll just do the thing they'll do the thing anyway you know yeah you, oh. heard, you heard about this one you heard about these things i have heard about this <laughs> happening yes so she so the sultan says to aladdin's mom hey come back with like 40 black slaves and 40 white slaves and all of them got to be holding like big gold bowls full of jewels. And when they all can, when you get, when Alan gets all that, then sure he can marry my daughter. But he's got a genie. And yeah. And so Alan's mom goes home and like lickety split. He wishes for all this stuff. And before the day is even over, he's like, mom, you got to go back. Like take all these guys. You got to go back. You got to get me you got to give me the Sultan's daughter. You got to do it, mom. Come on. And so she does it. And the Sultan is like, dang, if he could do this, actually, maybe he is worth maybe my he daughter's is cool. time. Yeah. And so he's like, hey, bring, bring Aladdin, bring me Aladdin. His mom goes home, gives him the good news. He gets the genie out again. He's like, dress me up. Give me a cool horse with like, with clothes worth a million dinars on it. Okay. Give me the and give me more slaves. I've heard this, I've heard and seen this musical number. Okay, sure. Yeah, now this is this is the Prince Ali, the big number condensed down, except without any sort of trying to teach us lessons about Aladdin. Yeah. Like misleading people. Yeah. yeah and how yeah, it's yeah. bad to lie. Like there's yeah. none, none of that. No. Nope. So Aladdin he goes and he walks down the street and everybody is like, dang, that guy's great. Look at this guy. And Aladdin's like throwing him gold because he doesn't care. Like he's got a fancy genie. Who will give him whatever he wants? So he's making all the people love him on the way to the palace. He gets there. The Sultan is taken with him, and the Sultan's like, "Hey, do you, you should. Why don't you, while we wait for all this to go through, why don't you build a palace on the grounds? We'll hang out. It'll be great." Aladdin wishes the most opulent, wonderful, golden palace in all of the world to be built in the courtyard by the genie. The next day, this leads to a very strange passage where. The Sultan, where the vizier, who's still pretty skeptical of this, but is never like an actual villain figure the way that Jafar is. Sure. He's like, I think there might be some magic going on here. And the Sultan's, <laughs> the Sultan is like, eh, I don't know. Like, maybe you just build it real fast. <laughs> and the vizier's like, no, I definitely... The Sultan like shuts the vizier down. Like, no, it can't, huh. it can't be magic. What are you talking about? Mm, and mm. so Aladdin gets married to the princess and they live in this cool palace. And he, the genie does whatever he wants. 
And the story kind of goes like this. They live for several years like this and then cut back to Africa where the magician guy who had walked away is like, I guess he wants to check and see how Aladdin died. Like he has a, like a, like stones or sand or something that he looks into to like tell him what's going on. So he sees Aladdin is alive and that he married up and he is rich beyond his wildest dreams. And the magician is like, dang it. He figured the lamp out. Well, <laughs> all beans. He figured out the lamp. <laughs> so magician goes to back uh, to the China? city in China, the, the city, it's name. I can't recall. Yeah. And he, does some recon on Aladdin. Aladdin is out hunting. He's on day three of an eight day hunting trip. Uh, but he has left the lamp behind at home, just kind of up on a high shelf. So nobody could get at it. Okay. <laughs> and so he comes up with this cool, great s- scheme of a scheme where he goes and he gets 12 new lamps made. And then he walks through the streets being like, Hey, give me your old lamps and I'll give you a new lamp. And everybody's laughing at him. Cause he's an idiot. Like, who's going to do this? But then the princess is like, all right, this guy, let's, okay, I got this old lamp here. Give me a new lamp. And he gives the lamp away. And the magician (sighs) rubs the lamp. Genie comes out. Genie's like, hey, what do you want? And again, Genie is not like moralizing. Genie is not picking sides. You rub the lamp, you get the Genie, you get the wishes. And that's how this works. It's different. So it is different from both the Robin Williams Genie, who has a moral compass, and the kind of like, angry vengeful genies in some of the stories that we read like this story's this genie is just here like what did you order he's this a door genie, dash yeah, this for genie your is dreams here to do his job and get out of the way okay okay he's like the dinosaurs in flintstones that are like record players and vacuum cleaners and stuff and he turns <laughs> to the camera and he goes it's a living okay you know sure. those guys yes, i do know what you mean that's true so he's like hey genie why don't you Pick this palace and everybody in it up out of the courtyard and put it in Africa and also take me to Africa and me and the princess are going to live in this rad palace in Africa. So pop palace is gone. Aladdin, the Sultan looks out the window is like, Hey, wasn't there a palace there? And the visitor's like, remember when I said this was magic, you idiot. And the Sultan's like, Oh no, it was magic. (laughs) Bring me Aladdin in chains because he has lied to me about who he is. So Aladdin is brought to him in chains, but Aladdin is so popular with the people of the city, the the name of which I cannot recall, that people start kind of rioting when it seems like Aladdin's going to get his head chopped off. Oh, no, not Aladdin. And so the Sultan is like, okay, I I won't do it now. And then everybody stops like literally climbing up the walls and destroying them and goes home. Uh, and then the, and Aladdin says, okay, give me 40 days. I'm going to try and figure out what's going on. And if I can't, I will bring, I will bring my head back here and you can chop it off however you like. Sure. Aladdin wanders the street in a daze for a while. He's very melancholy. He's on the banks of a river. He's about to throw himself in the river because he can't possibly conceive of, of what happened or how to fix anything when he gets like he slips and he gets caught on a cliff but then when he's hanging there he like accidentally rubs the ring again yeah the ring is back my god what guess what the idiot. ring is back <laughs> he the had ring a genie genie's in like, his hand the whole time and the ring genie is like hey what do you want and aladdin is like take me to wherever my palace is 
And Aladdin does not ask for like any follow up stuff about like, oh, who did this? Or can you like give me some information? Like what I might need to know? He so he gets he gets taken to Africa. He goes into the palace. He talks to the princess. He realizes once she says they're in Africa, who it must be. It must be this magician from Africa who is very prominently said to be from Africa. The only one. Africa really does just seem like more Europe in this story or more like generic Europeized Middle East, whatever. Sure. Um, Not really important that they're in Africa, except that it be far away from China. Yeah. Boy, I just and that's as specific as the geography is. Truly as specific <laughs> as it is. Africa, this guy's in Africa, this guy's in China. And what he went from Africa to China. The that that's the trip. That's it. That's it. That's the trip. Um so through scheming, Aladdin and the princess poison the magician and he falls over dead. And they wish the palace back to the grounds and everything is hunky dory. And so this has been like 90 pages of book. Wow. And then here in the last nine pages, the guy is like, but the magician also had a brother and he's <laughs> mad that Aladdin killed his brother. And so now the, <laughs> and the, the line at the end is going to, I, you will think this is hilarious because I thought it was hilarious, but, um, Oh, great. So, there's all another adventure where the magician's evil brother, who's even more evil and better at Gallagher magic than the original, or whatever, yeah, than the yeah. original magician, comes and he like kills and takes the place of this like soothsayer, like medicine woman person who's known to cure headaches. Very quickly weasels his way into the princess's good graces while Aladdin is on a hunting trip. Now Aladdin has started taking the lamp with them everywhere when he does go on these smart, trips. Smart, smart. So that's not the deal. But uh, Aladdin gets back home, and the the guy convinces the the magician's brother convinces the princess this house is great except it needs like a a rock egg. Oh yeah, the rock egg, like a big bird. Yep. Yeah, big mythic bird, or rook, or however you pronounce it. Yeah, rock, a rook's egg. Yeah, and so Aladdin goes to the genie in the lamp and is like, "Hey, could you give me a rook's egg?" And the genie is like, man, I'm all right. I've had it. I've done all this stuff for you. And now you're going to ask me to bring like my dad's egg to you what? to hang in your house. <laughs> that, that's where the line is. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Let me find. Uh, no sooner had Aladdin uttered these words than the genie uttered. And genie is spelled J-I-I-J-I-N-N-I. Just yeah, for, genie. Yep. And you get a lot of. uh variations on that throughout these uttered such a terrible cry that the room shook and Aladdin staggered and nearly fell down the stairs. Uh, isn't it enough that I and my companions have done everything for you, but you ask me with an ingratitude that beggars belief to bring you my master and hang him from the middle of this dome. Whoa. Uh, for this outrage, your wife and your palace deserve to be reduced to cinders on the spot. Uh, but he does know that it's not Aladdin who's asking for this. He knows that He's being hoodwinked by the magician's evil brother. And so he's like, hey, Aladdin, this is what's going on. Like the magician had an evil brother. And then Aladdin kills the evil brother. Thus was Aladdin delivered from the persecution of the two brothers who are both magicians. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thus? That's the end of this the story? This last part is so tacked on. I don't even know why it needs to be here. 
That's like that's like if okay, that's like the king. Let's presume, and you didn't even mention Shahrazad. I'm sure it's part of it. Um, I'm sure that like Shahrazad throughout like, this. throughout she is not okay. There's a bit at the end which we'll talk about, um, and then we'll be done. Shahrazad is like, you know, okay, here's my story. Uh, he got rid of the magician, and all was honky dory. And then like the king is like, I don't know. What if there was some more? Could you t- could you this, make up some more about Aladdin? It's really like a six year old is like, tell me more. What else did the pokey sure. little puppy do? Yeah, that that's a good. It's like, and I'm curious to hear if you have a movie that you would you would do this with. But it's like if the Lion King happened exactly as it happens in the movie. But then when Scar dies, there's another evil lion who comes walking down. And he's like, hey. I'm Scar 2. I'm also an evil lion. And then the last like seven minutes of the movie, we're dealing with Scar 2. What if at the end of Beauty and the Beast, when he gets turned into a man, another man walks out and he's like, I'm the hotter beast. And then they have to decide who she's going to marry and they have to fight. Mm-hmm. Or Gaston gets killed. And, and then Gaston's, Gaston's brother, <laughs> Gaston's brother, Gastoner, Maston comes and he's like, I'm even stronger. I no eat. one does all that stuff in the song like Gaston except for I me. I, and I do it even eggs. better. Yeah, yeah, I eat a lot of eggs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I eat that little that little guy who sings the song. Yeah, I just ate him right now. <laughs> Let's fight. <laughs> I turned into a beast. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's weird. That's weird, huh? It is. It's very strange because it really did. See, like it all gets wrapped up. The Chekhov's ring is gone off and then disappears into the background again, just as quickly as it appeared. <laughs> the magician from the beginning who wronged Aladdin in the first place is vanquished. Aladdin's got the girl. He, you know, at the end of the story, the Sultan dies of old age and. And the princess became the heir, and then Aladdin was the sultan, and they had a bunch of kids, and the kingdom was ruled for a long time, and it was great. And that's the end of the story. There's really no reason that could not have happened before deciding that the evil magician had a brother who had never been mentioned before anywhere in the story at all. that's weird. Uh, So this ends, there is no, um, there's no knight structure, at least not in this. I don't know if that's, that's a feature of the original Galand or if it's sure, or if it's been just done by uh, the translator to make it flow more smoothly or something. Yep. yep. But you get, you get Scheherazade at the end who goes, who actually goes through, here's what, Everybody in the story kind of did and what the moral is. Oh, weird. Uh, Your majesty will no doubt have seen in the person of the African magician, a man abandoned to an immoderate passion, desirous to possess great treasures by wicked means, a man who discovered vast quantities of them, which he could not enjoy because he made himself unworthy of them. In Aladdin, by contrast, your majesty sees a man of humble birth rising to royalty itself by making use of those same treasures which came to him without him seeking them, but who used them only insofar as he needed them for some purpose he had in mind. And then in the mind of the Sultan and, and then the two magicians and blah, blah, blah. Huh? So everybody serves a purpose. You are. So in our story, we have sort of tried to read into some of the stories, what they might mean. Yeah. Like what Scheherazade might be attempting to convey with this or, or to do with this. I don't think the book, 
at least not that original like Arabic text that that we read. We were yeah. reading. Like I don't know that the book is necessarily that interested in that. Oh no! But obviously the, the Galand or whoever. The Calcutta yeah, whoever, whoever made this addition to this this codex of stories at whatever point did decide, well, what if maybe we need to do a little bit more of this frame huh. because we took we took all this trouble to set it up and then it just fades into the background and it's like a couple of stock lines that you need to read every three or four pages to yeah. keep going. Is, is there any point in that story where someone tells someone else a story? No. Yeah, that's strange. No, it's not. It's not nested. It's and it's like almost a hundred pages long. It's very, very long for there to be no that's nesting or, fascinating. or any, like, structural anything. So yeah. yeah, I read a quick synopsis of Alibaba, which I'll only give you the two takeaways. But like, there's no, from what I could tell, there's not a lot of internal storytelling either, and not even just that it has to be nested, but just in a lot of the stories we read. People like use stories like currency to achieve it's a story. Things. Yeah, it's a story about telling stories. Yeah, and this is a story about Aladdin <laughs> and the two brothers who were both magicians. And he was freed from their persecution. Yeah, <laughs> um, Alibaba. It's it's believed that it was a folk tale that Antoine Galland heard from a storyteller, Hannah Diab. Um, and then it made it into the Richard Burton translations, etc. It's where it's where Open Sesame Street, oh, Open Sesame Street, open it's Sesame where Street. it's where Open Sesame comes from, which is where the name Sesame Street comes from. I don't know if you knew oh, that. I do now. Um, but they believe it was about opening kids' brains up, uh, huh. and curiosity and things. But anyway, uh, Alibaba's a woodcutter. Here's some thieves. They have some cave. They have a cave full of money. He gets some, and then the thieves try to track him down. There's some other stuff that happens, but at the end of it, the thieves try to enact revenge on Alibaba for stealing some of their stuff. They try to sneak into his house by putting a bunch of the thieves in big oil jars, and the lead thief pretends to be an oil merchant, and Alibaba's faithful uh, slave girl, Morjana, discovers the men in them and pours boiling oil in them and kills all of them. And then she performs a sword dance and kills the main thief. And Alibaba's like, sick, you can marry my son and you're free. Great. Neato Frito. So that and that one, like I I just mentioned that is like, A, it's where Open Sesame comes from. So you might want to know that. Um, And B, like it ends up a lower class character like saves the day, which is not a feature of these stories that I recall a lot of either. Is usually a king or a caliph like proclaiming that someone's story was good enough to yeah, save and someone's like usually, life. Usually it's lower class person is elevated to a higher class yeah. by virtue of their actions or their storytelling ability. Yeah, yeah. Not actually like saving someone's life necessarily. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we got on Arabian Nights, Andrew. Thousand One Nights. What do you think? I mean, I'm glad we read them i think it's an interesting departure from what we had been doing yeah and it's always it's fun to get away from the western can for a little bit just take a break yeah i i find myself thinking a lot about how these stories have been canonized in the west versus being like wholesale out of the western canon does that make sense like their influence on a lot of european writers because of galant and the people behind him like collecting them all brothers Grimm style and like i don't know it just feels like a lot of other stuff happened to these tales that maybe was not you know 
and, and, and it does one. seem sort of like the ones that are that that have been adapted more often in the in the West are the like weird standalone ones yeah. that were added later by somebody else. So you've got Aladdin, you've got Alibaba, and then there is an alternative ending to the Seventh Journey of Sindbad. Sure. Well, that even is also translated in the edition that I read. Yeah. So the there is a Hadawi collection um, called Sinbad and Other Tales from the Arabian Nights, um, or yeah, it's a, it's a Hadawi translation, and it includes Sinbad, his seven voyages. It sort of reads like a, a lot of Odysseus stuff. There's like actually a monster that is very reminiscent of the Cyclops. Um, he shipwrecks on a bunch of islands. His dudes eat stuff they shouldn't. You know the you know yeah. the deal. Well, because like once the Western canon gets into it at all, then that is when you start to have this other like stuff from epic poetry kind of worm its way in. Yep. I think yep. like yep. I don't I don't think there's a ton of that happening in the Aladdin story, but no, that certainly feels yeah. sort of on its own. In what's going on? Um, yeah, and just, I don't know, I think when you and I had trouble with the parts of these stories that were very clearly, like, about anxieties around women having agency and, you know, oh, I'm a powerful man and now I'm not a powerful man. What do I do? Um, and the violence that results from those two things coming into conflict. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know how those became... Aladdin and Alibaba. <laughs> I, I guess maybe that speaks to why we know those other stories more so than a lot of the ones that we've read, right? Is like mm-hmm. maybe they're more palatable or more fantastical and thus like live on more like a fairy tale. Yeah, there's more like memorable imagery or something. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but that's probably going to be a wrap for us here on Genie Babies. I'm glad we read them. I'm glad we read them too. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm, I more than the other, no, you know, by the time we were at the end of Paradiso, I was tired of Dante too. Like, yeah, yeah, there is a certain, and and reason why we are, we break these up instead of trying to tackle them in a normal episode beyond just not wanting to do a three hour normal episode <laughs> is because they are long. And because sometimes, especially for the repetitive stuff or the misogynist stuff or the uh, in the case of Paradiso the inscrutable stuff it yep. just it is it becomes as a like a layperson non-scholar sort of hard to absorb it correctly like it it is hard to give it the same weight and consideration that you give the earlier parts because the earlier parts were just like newer and they were connecting you to stuff you hadn't experienced before and then by the end it's like okay here we have another like another hunchback falling down the stairs another round of stories to some some king who wants to kill anybody it's yeah well and this one even more so than uh the divine comedy is like it doesn't have like we're not coming to an a close like we're not like there's no narrative thrust to get us to the to these final episodes. It was just like, hey, we're just going to read some more and then be done, which mm-hmm. I think makes it kind of harder in the ones where we're bouncing off it to like press forward because we're not we're not playing the like, well, how does this fit in? What does this yeah. mean? Sure. Um, which maybe is a good pivot 
to just talk about what we're going to read next. What's Andrew? next, Andrew? Craig. Oh. <laughs> Don Quixote. Don Quixote by, by Miguel de Cervantes. Miguel right? de Cervantes. Yes, we. Uh, the name is uh, to be revealed, but we are going to be starting in on our next long read project, uh, which will be Don Quixote. Uh, do you have the translator to hand, Andrew? Uh, yeah, the uh, Edith Grossman translation. Okay, um, and it will be more akin to our. Stop Homer time, I believe, both in in kind of length and probably in vibe. We will have characters that repeat, that we will get to know over time. I'm excited to learn about Knights Errant and Knight Errants. It'll be interesting to see how it feels to goof on something that's trying in many ways to also goof. Yeah. yeah yeah like it sometimes with the that you can have fun sort of juxtapose, juxtaposing the like serious high concept stuff in like an odyssey or a dante yeah yeah, yeah. what yeah, happens yeah. if the book is trying to do that for us yes yeah. maybe so we we'll just see. take it deadly seriously <laughs> yeah it's gonna be weird the serious boys that's it uh so yeah tune in for that um, and if you have some cool tales of either the Arabian Nights, Thousand One Nights, or uh, Don Quixote, please send them in to us at OverduePod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on either. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at OverduePod. Andrew, folks who want to know more of the show, which should go? You should go to OverduePodcast.com. It's our internet website. We have links to the books that we have read, the books that we're going to read. We have Apple and Google and RSS links. you also find us on Stitcher and Spotify. And if you want access to these episodes early, patreon.com slash OverduePod is our Patreon project. It helps to pay for books that the show buys. It helps buy equipment so we can keep the show sounding good and coming out on time. It helps pay for like student loans and daycare and like things that make our lives like materially better. Things that make the show possible, literally possible. It's it's just, it is, it's still, when I stop to think about it, flooring, that that is the level of support we have from people. So, yeah. Yeah, we're very grateful um, and have been particularly grateful in the year of our genies 2020 here. So... (laughs) Uh, Andrew, you know what they say at the end of every episode of Genie Babies. Genie in the streets, baby in the sheets. <laughs> we gotta go. I wish I was a baby being taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl with a good, I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit with a hat with a bat and six four four. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I was a little bit taller, y'all. I wish I was a baller. I wish I was a little bit taller.